is Food on Point, a weekly podcast coming to you from Berlin that hits on the less circulated topics around food and the gastronomy industry. We sit down with leading thinkers and doers in the far reaches of politics, agriculture, tech, academia, hospitality, and even activism to ask the hard questions when it comes to the food that we grow, serve, and eat. This month is called The New Age of Agriculture, where we look at ways people are combating climate change, disrupting the destructive effects of conventional farming, or innovating new methods for a brighter food future for their community. This week, we're looking at how organic farming techniques and community farmers markets have provided clean food to consumers in Beijing. I speak to Chan Lei Chung, who has been the farmers market coordinator with the Beijing farmers market for many years. Recently, she co-founded a media platform called Food Think that propagates educative media that tells the stories of regional organic farmers around Greater Beijing as a way to further educate the consumer community. I speak with Chan Lei, who has a wonderfully positive outlook on how the future for China's access to clean food will only grow from here. joining us here all the way from Beijing. Yeah, thank you for having me on your show. And your work is so interesting. I feel like I, I mean, I spent days just diving deep into um, what a little bit of knowledge of what I have in agriculture and kind of trying to look at it in um, what you're doing over there. And I really just want to start with hearing from just right from you, kind of what your efforts are and what the mission is of the Beijing farmers market and um, just why is this so unique to China at the moment? Okay, thank you. Um, So we started the Beijing farmers market in 2010. At that time, um, we already have some organic, independent organic farmers, but the consumers have had a very low awareness of the importance of buying from local small organic producers. So all these farmers were struggling back then. So there were a group of international artists who were in Beijing and who knew these farmers. And then they came up with this idea that to introduce these farmers to consumers so that the consumers can see, meet these producers directly in a, in a proper marketplace, not a supermarket setting. And that's how we started uh, to build a bridge between consumers and producers. The farmer's market um, model was a really good way to kind of really activate the local community within the city, correct? Yes. It's also a lot about, I mean, a lot of your mission is about advocacy work, right? And how that kind of um, more active um how, yeah, how does that more active role play out in sort of not only on the farming, not only for your farmers and the farm like farming ventures that they set out um, or that they are representing, but also for the consumer there in the city as well? Once we started, we realized that the consumers uh, who come to the farmer's market mostly for are looking for safe food because people start to understand that the overuse of pesticide, you know, antibiotics make their food not safe. So they come here to find safe food. 
because we started to understand that if there is, if the farmers don't have proper support uh, from the government or from the consumers, it, it will be quite difficult for, for any farmers to grow in sustainable, organic and safe way. So at the farmers market, we not only tell consumers that you come here for safe food, but you come here to, to be part of a community building process. Here, of course, you get safe food, but you also make a new relationship with the producers. You, all your money goes to the farmer and you know the history of how your food is grown, uh, who grows your food, in which ways, and uh, also because they're all near Beijing, so you get a chance to visit them. And, uh, and the consumers start to think that the, the re- it's not just a buy and sell relationship. It's not a trade. It, it's not a pure business. It, there's something else. It's a mutual understanding, mutual support at the farmer's market. Um, so that's what we would call a community building process. And this is also very important for sort of the brands that these farmers are representing as well, correct? And they they take pride in their food. Exactly, because um, back in 2010, these farmers had a very difficult time um, and they don't feel appreciated or respected because very few people buy their products or uh, they feel, the consumers feel, you, why is your fruits or vegetables so much more expensive than conventional ones? Uh, but at the farmer's market, because we do lots of education, explain the importance of these farmers' work, and all these farmers are very nice people, and they come to the market and they explain to the consumers, and we also use social media a lot. So consumers start to understand the value behind these uh, food. So it's not only safe, but it's also environmental friendly, and it also supports the rural development. All these things come together. And, the, and the, the farmers start to feel appreciated. They, um, they finally earn enough money to support their work to continue farming in a sustainable way. Uh, so the community starts to grow. More young farmers start to join and more consumers come to the market to buy their groceries. I'm wondering, so obviously the consumer has buying power. They are also directly supporting um, these grassroots initiatives and these independent farmers. But is there any support in place um, in governmental, in the government at all for sort of these more independent ventures, like these entrepreneurs, you would say? Uh, I wouldn't call our farmers entrepreneurs. They're still a bit too small for that name. Um, the government, uh, I'm actually editing an article on the government policy. And if you look at all the papers from the government, they do realize the importance of supporting more sustainable way of farming, supporting small producers. But in reality, it's still quite difficult for these uh smallhold farmers to get any support from the state. So at the farmer's market, uh, we, of course, we believe in policy change. We want to, we want to have a more you know, environment-friendly and small producer-friendly policies, but that takes a long time. So our strategy is to do something that will have immediate effect, that is consumers coming and buy directly from these farmers and support them. That's something you can do without any policy. And uh, as an organization ourselves, unfortunately, we don't have any 
direct support from the government. And I think this ties a lot into the role of media and social media and just digital marketing in general. If you are focusing more on the consumer and that um, quicker connection directly with the consumer and their buying power, what is your marketing strategy? And yeah, what is um, how has it <laughs> been for you to um, get good old fashioned just more people to support? <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's funny to say that we don't really have a marketing strategy. We don't have any marketing professionals in the team. So we are consumers ourselves. So we try to uh, talk to other consumers in a way that we want to be talked about or how we became educated and uh, knowledgeable about these issues. So we deliver all these messages to them. Um, Thanks to social media, we use lots of that. We have a Weibo account, uh, which is like Twitter in the Western in the Western countries. We also use WeChat, which is a very powerful social media and messaging system. Uh, so we so all our consumers would follow us on either Weibo or WeChat to know the location, time of the market, and also the the, the background, the stories of the farmers and whatever is in season or other activities we have at the farmer's market. So we use that to educate the consumers about you know, the importance of buying local, supporting organic farming, or to be more, be a more responsible consumer, those sorts of things. So it's mostly delivered through social media. And we were also picked up by the mainstream media a lot too, especially in the first few years when, when we were still considered as a very new phenomenon in China. So we were covered by almost all mainstream media from TV to newspaper to magazine. That's great. And you yourself also as a, another project have um, co-founded a media platform called Food Think. Is that correct? Yes. And this seems like it just was very organic, so to say, it dovetailed off of what you already were working on. If you want to explain a little bit more about how that came about. Yeah, because um, the farmer's market in the first few years, um, we benefit from all these social media stuff. We write profiles about the farmers. Uh, we, but, but the social media has its uh, limits. You know, it's only one, 140 characters you can put in one Weibo feed and we don't really have a dedicated team to produce those kind of contents and also really the the value of uh, organic farming the value of independent small producers um, it takes some dedication commitment to to produce good contents and to persuade the not only the consumers but also policymakers so um, so maybe about two years ago we wanted to set up a a media platform that is dedicated to this kind of contents and also to give a voice to the farmers and consumers. Some of our farmers have their own social media and they would write you know, short paragraphs about what they think about agriculture or they would post pictures of how they farm or they would write very short reviews of what they think about the food industry or some policies. But these are very scattered information all around the social media. Uh, and nobody really picked it up. There's a no trade media, let's say, uh, focusing on this sector. So 
we we were kind of in the middle of China's food movement, and we know lots of people. We know what they think. Um, so that's why we started a food think to provide a platform for farmers, for consumers, and for any practitioners, you know, researchers to write about what they believe is a more sustainable food system, and to essentially to give farmers and consumers a voice to express themselves. Uh, but we also write policy analysis. We also provide it's also information platform. Uh, for people interested in sustainable farming. Mm, that's so incredible. That huge um, engine of information is a wonderful idea for anybody in any community. So thank you. We just started, uh, you know, seven months ago. So it's still rather new, and it's, we're still experimenting different style of writing and try to build uh, a pool of writers. You know, we have farmers, we have researchers, we have professors in the this community. And are you, is it for also the lay person, the person who, like the consumer, the everyday person who really just maybe wants to know more and be a better informed consumer? Yes, uh, I think the one, one of the most popular articles on think is the farmers' stories and their profiles. We find that consumers find it very interesting to know. Uh, more in detail about uh, the life of a farmer and why his strawberry is so delicious, so different from others. You know, they, they, they do want to know the secrets of good food and they want to know the person who grows their food. So we, we try to write very human interest stories about these farmers. Then I have to ask, so who are the independent farmers in your network then? I was reading how a lot of people actually were choosing um, to actually migrate away from the city and into the country, more into these rural areas to take up more farming practices. When we first started, it, most of our farmers are idealists you know, who, who used to live in cities that almost had nothing to do with agriculture. Somehow they decided to pick it up as a profession, as a career. So these are what we would call new farmers. Uh, but more and more, we now, these new farmers are usually in their 40s, uh, had a rather successful career before farming. But as, as the whole community grows, we started to see more young people get into the business, mostly people from a, a farming background. Their, their parents were farmers, but these young people managed to get out of farming because they, uh, they, they went to college in the city, and mostly get a job afterwards, but somehow they decided that they don't want they don't belong to the city. They want an alternative lifestyle, or you know they they want more freedom, more autonomy over their lives in the city. That will be quite difficult. So we see a trend of young people going back to their villages and uh, became a full time farmer. But the way they farm and how they organize their farm organize their business is completely different from their parents. Most of these young farmers would choose organic farming. They would choose CSA, you know, community supported agriculture. They sell directly to consumers as much as they can. They would build their own brand, uh, put their own face on the package of the of the bag of rice. That's what they usually do nowadays. Uh, so these young people um, 
really change the face of China's agriculture. And, and it's still quite difficult for them to succeed. So the mission of the farmers market we, is to support these young people, the new generation of farmers, because um, they represent the future of China's agriculture. Uh, if they can be successful, more young people will see, will get into agriculture, and they will bring knowledge. They will bring all their expertise in other business, other trade into agriculture. And I think that will be very important for China's agriculture sector to go to the next stage. Absolutely. That's such a nice, nice thought for, yeah, for any country. Um, up until now, these people are sort of galvanizing a new way of business practice and farming and, and probably sustainable techniques and these organic methods. Who, what was the chain of education there? I mean, who, who's really teaching whom here and um, how is it being passed down and passed around? And yeah, well, that's a very good question. Uh, actually, that's something that is deeply missing in, in the sector. There are university professors who, res, who do research on sustainable agricultural organic farming, but their knowledge is quite difficult to, to be transferred to everyday farmers. Uh, so what we see is lots of farmers learn from one another. The more senior organic farmers who have already been in the business for 10, day, 10 years, you know, they generate lots of uh, experience. And the, the farmers are good sharers. They would love to share their knowledge to other people. So for, for example, at the farmer's market, we, we do, most of our farmers don't have organic certification. But we have a we have a system called participatory guarantee system where all farmers or any consumers can participate in the the, the kind of certification process. They would go to other people's farm and to see what kind of practice he has in place. And during that uh, practice, uh, farmers would learn from one another very quickly in a very efficient way. Um, they would you know. The, the, they would go to a, the, another farm and see what they can learn from that farmer or what they can offer to that farmer. So that kind of mutual learn, collective learning is very important for this new generation of Chinese farmers. I have to ask, in our age, especially in our generation now, we hear so much about sort of unsafe food coming out of um, many areas China being one of them, and you think of it being such a big country and how it's just so dedicated to this like mass capitalist-driven agriculture and not only feeding its um, large population, but also the world in a lot of ways. What was agriculture sort of before this era? I mean, if you go back even 100 years or even 50 years, what what did the agriculture... Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, it. So it was, um, I think, before the 80s or 70s, we, we didn't use any chemicals in our production. So it can be considered organic. It's, it, it, it is organic farming in a way, but it's not the, the efficient organic farming. Uh, but since the 80s, uh, lots of chemicals were used 
and and it is considered to be science and advanced. So from 80s to now, most of the farmers are used to chemical farming. But the new this new generation of organic farmers, they would learn from the you know the previous generation who still remembers how to grow food without chemicals. Uh, they would learn from them, of course, and they would do their soil analysis. Uh, they would experiment different insect control ways. So today's organic farming is very different from 100 years ago. And I think it will only become better than before. Mm, that's very optimistic. I love that point of view. It's uh, it's obvious, but it's also not. I mean, what is the fear of sort of this over-pesticides, over-antibiotic sort of um, farming industry, especially for the land and the people in China, um, let alone the world? Um, what's the fear of this? What what will it do to the land? Well, China's um, agriculture actually is China's top one water pollution. So the government does realize that it's an issue they have to address. So we see policies in China saying, you know, we don't want the chemical uh, the chemical fertilizer to the usage of chemical fertilizer to go any further, and we want to encourage people to to uh, recycle the animal manures because we now have lots of industrial animal factories. Um, so the pollution is there, and the overuse of antibiotics is a serious issue that. Um, we started to see its uh, consequences in public health. So we, we, we do have lots of issues with that. But the problem is um, the, the unsafe food, it's not visible. You can hardly tell a tomato, a, an organic tomato to a non-organic tomato or of pork that is full of antibiotics and the other one, which is not. So... Uh, so it, 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 it's quite difficult for consumers to make decisions in in many ways, and also the social trust issue is is an social trust is an issue in China. People tend not to trust other people, especially strangers. Um, so even if some farmers claim, you know, I'm organic, I don't use any chemicals, the consumer will say, "How should I trust you? Uh, is it really worth my money to pay more? Do I do I get something better or do I?" just get the same thing. So one of the main obstacles in China to farm in a healthy way is how to build that trust. Uh, that's what what the farmer's market and things like CSA can do, is to connect to the consumers and producers, to bring them together. They are not the opposite side of, of a business, only one wings. They, as I said before, uh, it's a mutual support system here at the farms market. Consumers respect producers and pay more for their work and get better food. Yeah, and a lot of I think you brought up a great point is um, trust building, um, and a lot of ways that you build trust really is um, that sort of face-to-face -face interaction, that storytelling. Yeah, but also um, China actually. Um, it's not only producing for the world. China is buying a lot from the rest of the world too. The challenges our farmers face, you know, who work really hard to <laughs> to grow organic food here in China, is the competition from international markets. Some business who would sell 
know, beef from America or Europe or milk from from Australia to say, no, it's better. It's of better quality because the, the environment there is better. I know some of the farmers, they are better. But that's not necessarily true because industrial farming is industrial farming anywhere. But these foreign products have, you know, can be cheaper than organic products grown domestically. So our, I think our farmers are facing that international competition, even though the quality is no better than their quality. Yeah, and they're also up against huge marketing companies, sort of this that marketing power that you have to say, you know, European cheese or European milk. Um, so they're up against a lot of sort of those marketing monsters. If you go to any you know, middle high-end supermarkets, half of the groceries and meat products are from other countries. Yeah, I mean, living in Europe here, I also am finding a lot of people are buying um, and shipping over American beef for their burgers so that they taste really like American burgers. <laughs> um, this is really inefficient. There you have wonderful yeah. cows here too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this also makes me think about um, the buying power of the consumer, but also restaurants and not only restaurants, but chefs who we see a huge phenomenon here in the West where chefs assume this ambassadorial role for education or um, change. And I was wondering if this is happening at all in Beijing. <laughs> Unfortunately, not yet. We are not there yet. Um, but we, we start to see some restaurants uh, try to source locally. There are a few that we work with, but it's just a very new trend coming in China. The, then the trust issue comes in again, because we do know some restaurant who claim to be organic. They say uh, we source from you know this farm, that farm. And when we ask the farmer how much does this restaurant buy from you, they'll say, oh, only two boxes a week. <laughs> so they, it, oh, or if you look at the menu, there's avocado, there's lots of shrimp, you know, the things that we don't grow here in China at all. So how organic, how sustainable this restaurant is, it's it's re- very questionable. So you. So this organic restaurant or local food restaurant just started and you still, you already have trust issues there and lots of missing marketing uh, propaganda that um, mislead the the consumers. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Restaurants will do more to market their whatever they need to market. So because they need to make the profit. So I guess that makes a lot of sense. And I'm also wondering what, I mean, China is such a huge country. Are in other big capitals around the country, is are farmers markets kind of popping up? Are you aware or a part of a larger network? Yeah, yeah we are in a network um, of, I think, 10 to 12 farmers markets held regularly in other cities. And uh, we know one another very well. We kind of, in a very uh, loose it's a very loose association that we would talk to each other, uh, share our experience, sometimes even share our farmers, because you know uh, southern China produces, let's say, orange while burnt. So we would uh, ask you know the the farmers market in Sichuan to introduce us to some orange growers there and have them come into Beijing. 
or we just uh, transport their orange to Beijing consumers. So, so the the local food movement is in lots of cities in China. Yeah, and so I was going to ask: Have you you so you have formed sort of an alliance or this um, association, and this helps you to maybe communicate and share. Um, yeah, not only ideas, but farmers and producers. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's great. Do you have plans for the future? I mean, what are sort of, I don't see you slowing down anytime soon. What are sort of the um, thoughts and plans for the work you've already yeah, done so much with? Um, of course, we want to grow the farmer's market. Uh, we want to have more locations um, in Beijing. And we, we already have two community centers in Beijing. Uh, part of it is a local grocery store, local grocery store that you know our farmers would put their stuff there, and it's open every day, so people don't have to go to the farmers market only to get these nice food. So we have two of that, and we plan to open more, and we want to work with more farmers. Uh, that's a farmers idea of course um, then we have the media platform that is food think we want to unite more uh around the country to to write about what we want for a more sustainable food system and then we also uh two years ago with the environmental foundation uh we had a special food fund under that we want to support uh other grassroots initiatives who try to build a, a you know food to to do sustainable food work in their local community, and we want to that too. So there are different areas of work we want to uh, we want to work on. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think also maybe outreach with um, school classes or younger children where they can almost do these farm tours and become. A, the next generation of inspired <laughs> farmers or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very yeah, that's a very good plan. We uh like we do have a project that we would take people to farms. We would work with some environmental NGOs to to bring children to those farms and uh, teach them about food. Some of our farmers will do that do that on their own. They work with certain schools, usually Waldorf or Montessori kindergartens and schools that you know, pay more attention to these to nature yeah there's so much to do <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that was my next question you're working at such a wonderfully um activist gra- grassroots level have you experienced any um major setbacks or any real really huge hurdles that you had to <laughs> uh navigate well, you you try to not not to think about it, otherwise you can't get up in the morning. Because <laughs> uh, true, true. Um, yeah, we 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 actually do. If if you really think about it, there are so many obstacles. Uh, the the farmers market itself is not a legal entity. You know, there's no no regulation over the farmers market, which can be a good thing because what it really says it's completely illegal to organize such a farmers market. But on the other hand, there's no document saying it is legal. So it's kind of, we operate in a gray area for all these years. Uh, and uh, to be perfectly honest, any government official with the FDA, you know, uh, the, the business bureau or whatever can come in and shut us down any minute. 
so so how to make ourselves <laughs> more more legal is the biggest uh, challenge we always have and uh, we don't see that problem being solved <laughs> in near future uh, so that's that's with the farmers market uh, but I think the small producers face similar challenges that uh, there's lots of regulatory um, obstacle for them to either grow food or grow organic products but because they're not certified that they're not allowed to call it organic or um, they can be a farmer but they can't process any of their their, their harvest you know they can't make jam they can't make cheese they can't sell milk all these regulatory uh, barriers actually are it's very harmful to the development of the small producers because these are the value-added stuff they can do uh, to make more money. But the current Chinese uh, legal framework prohibits them from doing so. Um, but they do it anyway. You know, we have a large gray area in China. Uh, so, so we're also looking at the cottage law in America because in the U.S. each state has different uh, regulatory over what farmers can produce and where they can sell. So we're, we're doing research on that and to see whether it can adopt a similar uh, uh, legal framework to to allow small producers to you know, to, to to process their food and sell. In a, so these are the challenges. And and the, the other is the competition from uh, you know from from business from really big capital driven business. Um, our second local food store uh, was was very close to a Walmart, but the Walmart in China is not very good at fresh products, the groceries. <laughs> Neither so is our fine. Walmart either. <laughs> <laughs> but then, then just a, a few days ago, last week, uh, one of the biggest China's um, uh, online shop, uh, Jingdong, which is like Amazon, and they've started to do offline. The supermarkets that focus on food, the, the second shop is right opposite our second shop. Ten times bigger, much fancier, and with cheaper imported stuff. And they, they promise to deliver to your home if, you, if, if, if you're nearby in 30 minutes. So it's, it's a very attractive thing for the middle class consumers. Yeah, so that's the kind of the competition challenge we face. Because we can never have the capital that allow us to open a shop like that. Um, you know, we we will never sell any imported lobsters or, or fish or shrimp or, or American beef <laughs> that you know looks uh, better or cheaper. So so that, that that's the other challenge we face. I was also wondering if you ever feel overwhelmed by just the sheer scale in numbers of you know people. And consumers that you feel like you need to affect and educate and inspire to be able to really make a cultural shift against sort of the bigger structures at hand. Yeah, yeah, that's such a huge task. Yeah, this is a vast country. Um, the Beijing farmers market kind of it's it's the first market of its kind in China, and uh, and once you know we made our name out out there and kind of being successful, other farmers and consumers in other cities would say, hey, let's do a farmers market on our own, and they they did. Many of them survive over the years. So we think that setting a good example and uh, and people would follow. 
and they would even do better than you using local resources and ex expertise and being very creative and brave, uh, innovative. So I think it's, it's, it's like farming. It's like organic farming. You plant a seed and you give it a good environment, a soil, some water, and it will grow in a, a healthy way. Sometimes, you know, they feel sick, but, you know, sometimes plants are sick, but if its soil is healthy, it grows anyway, and it will overcome the sickness by itself. So I think building a, a really good community is very important for the movement. Uh, that's also why we do we we started a food think is to have more information knowledge circulated in the community that people learn from one another. Mm. So I think uh, that's a very important piece. And uh, but on the other hand, um, we also want to. Um, have some policy change. We we some research on our own or uh, in collaboration with scholars in universities and government think tanks. So try to have them understand the problems with industrial farming and the the, the value of organic farming and how small producers are still important in China. episode is co-produced by Madeline McLean and Stephanie Rotenhofer and was recorded in Berlin's Noise Fabric, a multi-purpose and co-working space dedicated to the audio and creative industries. For more information, visit them at noisefabric.com and let them know that we sent you. Do you want to sponsor or partner with Food on Point? We'd love to collaborate with you. Write us an email at hello at foodonpointpodcast.com. We love hearing from you, and let's keep the conversation going on these vast topics. You can find us on Instagram at Food on Point or on Twitter at Food on Point One.